On a special TX Waterfall podcast, as we're all looking for things to do, we speak with Peter Hudnut, 2008 Olympian, Stanford standout, and according to Wikipedia, John Thomas Dye Elementary School graduate. It's um, good to share details like that on Wikipedia. Plus, he and his Harvard Westlake teammates trained in Texas back in the 90s and recently led a clinic in Houston. He and I spoke back in December when I had a dodgy connection and some ancient earbuds, so the quality is even more sub subpar than usual. But Peter and I discussed his connections with Texas, his Olympic experiences, and a lot more. So here we go. It's James Smith with TX Water Polo Podcast and a special guest today. We're going to talk with Peter Hudnut, two-time Olympian and um, former All-American at Stanford, who is now, who, who was just in Houston doing a camp. So welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to, uh, to connect with the water polo community out there and, and broadly through your through your blog. Right. Cool. So you and, and that, that's the deal. It's like you were asked to come to Houston, I think, by Houston Storm is the club that, that brought you into town. So tell us a little bit about your experience. How did things go? Yeah, it was a gr- great experience. Uh, you know, so, so I do a bunch of coaching and camps with some of my former teammates, mainly uh, Tony Azevedo and sort of through him that I got connected to the club. Came out. We had uh, three three-hour sessions uh, where we ran kids through uh, a number of fundamentals, skill building, shooting technique training, as well as uh, a 6-8 challenge, which is sort of becoming the uh, combine uh, of our sport. Right. You know, it's run through 6-8 sports, and it's basically a way to not only uh, track kids' skills, abilities, and times, but also uh, for me as a position coach, it's a great opportunity to give meaningful feedback to each athlete and give them a few drills uh, that they can work on to, to really improve their game. Uh, the weekend itself was amazing. The 45 kids we had uh, were all motivated, tons of questions. They uh, did everything we asked of them and more. Uh, the effort and enthusiasm was great. And uh, I was very surprised that at the skill level and the enthusiasm to learn, you know, I think during winter break, you kind of get that mix of some kids who kind of would rather be on break sleeping in. And <laughs> we had 20 some odd kids at 645 on a pool deck on a Saturday wow. morning. I mean, it was incredible. Great experience. The club was great. The parents were great. Uh, I, I hope to actually make it a twice a year thing. I'd love to come out and, and reach more kids. Wow, fantastic. And I, I think Tony's been out here, or at least in Dallas, um, on occasion as well. So it sounds like 6-8 might be making its presence felt in the state of Texas. Yeah, Tony and Adam, I know, come uh, come to Dallas, uh, I think, once a year. Um, I know Brenda Villa has, has come out once or twice, yeah. as well as Janai Kerr. And, you know, I think it's a bastion for, for great athletes, and especially there seems to be quite a swim presence in Texas. And... Uh, uh, you know, I think anywhere that the sport is growing, we hope to be and hope to help people uh, reach their potential. Very good. And um, was it your first time in Texas for anything water polo related? So we've been to Texas, or I've been to Texas uh, two other times. One was for uh, the onboarding and outfitting for the 2007 Pan American Games, which were in Rio de Janeiro. We all went and trained for a day and 
got a bunch of gear and then left. So not, not really spending much time in Houston, uh, but we were there for that. And then 21 years ago, 1998, uh, I, played, I was in high school. I was going into my senior year at Harvard Westlake and our Harvard Westlake team came to Houston and trained with uh, uh, Coach Langraff's team, whose name is escaping me. I can't remember Tom. where. Yeah, Clear Lake. That's a great story. Clear Lake, yeah. And, you know, Tom and Rich go go way, way back. And uh, it was a great probably five days of, of training. And also, you know, we got to see the city, went to the NASA Space Center, uh, where a water polo player toured us around, a uh, former astronaut, uh, Steve Smith, I think. Smith is his wow. last name. But it was a great, great opportunity. We got a lot of weather. I remember it rained more there in the three or four days we were <laughs> there than it did in two years at Los Angeles. So that was great. <laughs> right. So I've so been there a few times, but it was wonderful to be back. What a what a great story! I, I we, you and I talked about it a little bit before, but that that's a that was a surprise because there ha, there has been some connection between teams from California and Texas over over the years, but you know '98 was not a year that I suspected that was going to take place. So really interesting that Harvard Westlake decided to do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think you know, obviously Rich Corso and Langraff's relationship helps, but also I sure. Think- you know, one of the lucky things I think about my water polo career with a guy like Rich Corso is not only is he a phenomenal and brilliant water polo mind, but even now in his 60s, he is a little kid with his enthusiasm for the sport and for growing the sport. I think what he really instilled in all of us is that the sport is, is about pushing boundaries. It's about uh, being part of something greater than any individual, right? Even with the best players in the world, like Tony Azevedo, he can't grab a rebound, take it all the way down, juke everyone, and score like in basketball, right? You're right. really reliant on your team and that camaraderie. And because of that, we were lucky enough to travel to various places, Houston being one of them, and really uh, create more relationships with local teams. Very cool. Yeah, the... the um the uh crap hold on one second i lost my train of thought all good i talked too much <laughs> no no you're good uh, really good um damn it i had two questions oh okay here we go three two one Right, and Harvard Westlake. Uh, actually, when the decision was made in October that the UIL, which is the equivalent of the CIF in uh, in the state of Texas, was going to add water polo as its next official sport, who were the two teams who tweeted immediately that they'd be interested in a trip to Texas? One was Newport, one was Harvard Westlake. So it sounds as though that's a that's a, almost a cultural thing. It's something that they like to do is to get out of the state and go play somebody else. Absolutely. Well, you know, Brian Flax, I remember coaching, he's the coach at Harvard West. Like I remember coaching him when he was in age group. And I know uh, Rich Corso was a big influence on not only his water polo education, uh, but also I'd say his style and philosophy and uh, what Brian's done with the Harvard Westlake program is, is pretty incredible. And his enthusiasm, much like Rich's and to a certain extent mine, to keep continue to grow the sport as well as provide uh, better opportunities for his players and other players 
is, uh, I think, you know, transforming part of, of, of the sport of water polo. And Harvard Westlake kids should consider themselves lucky. But Very lucky. Well, I, and you're a lucky guy, too. So Stanford All-American, uh, they just won their first title in uh, 12 years? Um, on 17 this, years. 17? Thank you for the correction. Well, the only reason is... My, my senior year was the last title they won. Right. They some phenomenal teams between now and then. But, you know, hats off to those guys and to John Vargas. Uh, I loved him, loved playing for him. Uh, I know some of those guys like Ben Halleck, and, and uh, they're a great team. They worked their tail off, and it was, it was great to see them win. I, I don't think I love him as much as you do. He was the coach at Corona Del Mar uh, my <laughs> senior season at Wilson, and they beat us in the semis uh, for CIF championships. So l- a little bit less of a fan maybe than you are. Well, you know, he's a, he's a tough guy. And I was, uh, uh, I'd say, more intimidated by him until I played for <laughs> him. And uh, that bond, you know, I, I only played for him for about 18 months. And that bond we created, though, was, was pretty meaningful. And he definitely impacted uh, my game. And, you know, I, I've been very lucky. I grew up playing for Rich Corso, then Ricardo Azevedo, and Dante for, for two and a half years at Stanford, and then John Vargas for a year and a half at Stanford. So it's very, very lucky educational uh, program that I've had. All yeah. of those guys are great. Great coaches in my game. Almost Hall of Fame. I think all of them. Yeah, that's incredible. We're at the midpoint of our conversation with Peter Hudnut, and we'll return with more after this important message from someone who sounds like Sam Elliott. Right about now, you might be expecting some song and dance about a product you don't need. Well, shush, we don't advertise here, and we want to keep it that way. So we sure would appreciate your help. Show your support by going to TXWaterPolo.com forward slash donate so we can keep covering the sport we love in the great state of Texas. And now more with 2008 Olympian Peter Hudnut. And that led you after those successes at the collegiate level, of course, to the USA national team. And um, I've already gushed about this, I think, with you in person, you know, before we got online here and with other people. 2008 is when the blog Total Water Polo started and was by far my favorite. And I, and which is interesting because I actually worked at the 1984 Olympics. So I saw pretty much every game there when the, that team won a silver medal, but um, it was a, it was a little bit of a letdown at the time because the Soviet union wasn't playing and the, there was a boycott and, and all of that. And then of course they tied Yugoslavia in the final game. And uh, at the time that was the, the, the rules were such that it wasn't a championship match per se. It was a, a, a rankings match. So a tie at five all gave them the silver medal was very disappointing but your experience in Beijing is my favorite and and my all-time favorite game is the semifinal win that you that you uh that you were succeeded at against Serbia yeah that game I mean so, so I actually don't have any of the game film from any game in 2008 uh and there's certain parts of the games that you remember and there's certain parts where you're so in the zone, we used to call it playing in the white, where you're basically you're so play by play connected to to the game that I actually don't remember a lot of the game other than that game against Serbia was probably the greatest game of my career, and I think I only took one shot from nine meters, so I didn't score. Uh, 
but for me, it was just thrilling because the connectivity that we all had with each other as a unit and the belief that we all had uh, in each other and in what we were doing and the willingness to just put it all out there and, and, and go, go for gusto, right? Leave that pool with no uh, energy left. I mean, it was the best defensive, you know, I switched from two meter offense to two meter defense around 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. And that was hands down the best game of my, my career, my, my U.S. national team career for sure, which was about 12 and a half years long. That was for sure my best game. Uh, and it was just, you know, an incredible opportunity. We had had three coaches in the four years preceding the, uh, 2008 olympic games right we had had some funding issues uh you know a lot of people at home weren't necessarily believing in us and we we knew we had it in us and that summer leading up to to the games we started to really turn some heads and prove to everyone that we were uh strong individual players and a very very strong team so it was a great dynamic that game is incredible too what do you remember, if anything, from about you had a plan to to attack Serbia and you, you're clearly indicating that the it went to plan, that things went as you expected. What do you remember about that? I mean, it, it was part of your amazement that like, hey, this is actually really working well. So I think we had a I mean, truth be told is we had a deep belief in our system, which was somewhat similar to Serbia's system. You know, we didn't really do the, you know, major run and gun like Hungary. We slowed it down a little more. We tried to really control the directions of their shots, their balls, and uh, and really tried to almost suffocate them with our, our pressure because uh, we knew we were fit and we knew that we were a solid team and had each other's back. I think the thing about that game is we'd been playing them close and we'd beaten them once or twice leading up to the Olympics. But overall, if you looked at the previous eight years, the games we played against them, we, you know, we maybe won 10% of those games, not even. Yeah. And to come in and route them so thoroughly like we did. I mean, I, I say, had we won a gold, the uh, miracle on ice, no offense, <laughs> two in the world, and they beat the Russians, right? Right. College kids. Well, we were number eight in the world, and we beat Serbia. And that was, without question, one of the greatest, I think, upsets of that Olympics, if not uh, uh, last few Olympics. I completely agree with that. Yeah, that was a that was a moment. And um, and if you haven't had the chance, go check out on YouTube. There's a, there are some highlights. They're they're not terribly good, unfortunately. But my and and I'm afraid I'm going to have to give it to your teammate here. But Jeff Powers had this shot at about eight nine meters with uh, five minutes left in the game, and he got fouled. Yeah, and just absolutely killed it, high corner. And you can actually hear, it sounds like a chest of drawers closing. And not only did you hear the shot, but you could just see Serbia deflating completely. The game was over. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Jeff is one of those guys. He has, uh, you know, there's a few other guys like Jeremy Pope and Ryan Bailey will claim he's up there. But Jeff (laughs) has one of the most hard, powerful shots uh, you know, I'll rib him a little bit in that he doesn't always know where it's going. But, you know, 
he can get some heat behind the ball. And, uh, and that was it. I mean, that, I think that's one of the things about that game is everyone contributed. Everyone kind of, you know, at, at national team levels, you have a bunch of individual great players who come together and, and try to perform. And sometimes there's a level of, I think, selfishness or ego that goes into it. And I, yeah, I think there's, there's examples of that in certain certain teams. Uh, but our team really put the ego aside. Guys weren't worrying about how many goals they were scoring. They weren't worried about even performance other than just execution, right? You made a mistake. It was water off a duck's back. No right. one was laboring on that mistake. You moved on. You moved forward. And I think to have guys like, uh, you know, a wealth of experienced Olympians really put ego aside and just battle. And, and that's what that game was. That's what that Olympics kind of signified was the selfless, aggressive uh, style of, of our American team and our willingness to go until there's nothing left. Well, and, and that's a style that you can also see in the gold uh, gold medal match, which is a, maybe less a fond memory than the than the Serbian semifinal. But you were close with Hungary for well over three quarters. Um, what what's your what's your recollection from that game? I think same thing. I think uh, you, you know the concern after such a big win in the semifinals is you know you don't want to let down that momentum because there's a certain part of, of some people's brain that was like, oh my gosh, we're, we're leaving with a medal no matter what. And that, that's a very dangerous place to be in when yeah. you come from the background of most people don't expect you to even perform that well. I mean, my, my own father was scheduled to leave that day. Wow. He, had to, he had to reschedule and pay a fortune to reschedule his flight and postpone some business he was doing uh, in order to... Uh, you know, in order to see the, the final game. So wow, we really showed him. I didn't know that after <laughs> the Olympics. Otherwise, I would have had some more choice words with him. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that gold medal game, I mean, look, it is uh, an incredible thing to, to compete and represent your country in the Olympic Games. It is next level to do so when battling for a medal. I mean, face facts the united states responds to metal performances more so than uh incredible efforts right yeah and there's definitely some weight to that in the gold medal match however at the same time it was you know haze in the barn let's go to work let's do everything we can to captivate every to win every every possession Right. And we were executing our game plan flawlessly. I think, you know, some guys will, will there's some debate as to when, when the moment broke in that third quarter. We had to run and gun with them a little bit. And there were two quick misses on our part that they countered down and scored. Right. And that was a huge momentum shift. And, uh, you know, look, Hungary at that Olympics, their team was without question the best best in the world that that team is pretty much the same team as four years earlier and pretty much the same team as 2000 uh arguably one of the best teams if not the best team in history right um and we we battled them and i yeah i'm very proud of how we did but yeah it's frustrating because 
in team sports, you lose the gold. Right? As you don't win the silver, right? Swimmer, you, you, beat, you get your PR and you lose to someone, but you, you're still person, you know, getting your PR and you're, you're winning that, that silver. You know, the silver medal in team sports is a little, uh, I've talked to Terry Schroeder about this a number of times. It's still a little, it's something that just kind of sits on you for a little bit. Right. And, uh, and we, you know, two or three possessions change and that whole game could have, could have potentially changed. So it's, it's a little frustrating, but the energy, the camaraderie, the uh, success that we as a group had through a lot of trial and tribulation. And I'm talking about eight years of grinding as young college kids through 2004, which I was alternate on. I did not make that team. And then to uh, 2008, I mean, battling for a gold with, with your brothers, no matter the outcome, is just something I've shared for the rest of my life, for sure. What a memory. Yeah, so um, Peter Hudnut, two-time Olympian and a recent visitor to Houston, and hopefully you'll come back again and we'll meet face-to-face. But thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. Thanks for listening and telling a friend about the TX Water Polo Podcast. And be sure to visit TotalWaterPolo.com, our other site, to find some very useful educational materials and, of course, news and features about water polo throughout the United States. And if you're wondering why we end the show with this music, well, that's Playground by 12 Hour Mary, whose lead singer is Brett Bixby, standout water polo player at Long Beach Wilson High School back in the 80s and my former bandmate. So go check out his solo work at MySpace.com forward slash Brett Bixby. This has been a production of TWP Sports, LLC.